Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AMT Tech Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I am Benjamin Moses, the director of technology, and I'm here with Stephen Lamarca, AMT's technology analyst. Steve, how are you doing today? Doing great. Yeah, I was uh, watching the last of the Olympics. I missed the closing ceremony, but they've been uh, talking a lot about uh, gold uh, medal counts. Is that is that interesting to you? I, I don't find that too interesting to me. To be, uh, to be yes. honest, yeah, I, I I'm still interested in the medal count. Okay, I'm I'm interested in knowing how much better we are. At- <laughs> other countries than something <laughs> and um it reminds you that we send a thousand athletes versus the next country if i sent a quarter of that <laughs> right and I, i'm also like i'm also interested in the topic that was brought up recently of like um the weight of the total medal count okay so there's a little bit of debate and stir around like well you know the total medals are more important than what kind of medals they were. Sure. And that's like kind of like I, I, I disagree with that. OK. I I, res- I think that number is valid right. and that number does need to be tracked. Sure. But if there was some sort of like point or or, or weighing system, a weighting system right. on the type of medals, like then that should be counted. But okay. Like if you're trying to like place one country over another at the end of the Olympics over all of the events. Right. uh, That's like saying, you know, well, this, this event is harder than the other. That wouldn't be fair. That's right. Yeah. But saying that, you know, one, one medal is, I mean, you look at the athletes Mm -hmm. when they're done and now I'm not saying the athletes are right in this, but you look at the end of one of the events, Mm -hmm. gold is celebrated. And yes. off the charts and then like emotion. silver, the silver medalist it's and cr- bronze, you're lucky to get any emotion <laughs> out of them. That's positive. If anything, they've got a negative emotion. Yeah. Now I'm not saying like, like, like oh, clearly the gold is more important to the athletes. Correct. Um, now I'm not saying they're right in their emotions. because There's still a thing called sportsmanship <laughs> and maybe just the overall count is a weight of sportsmanship. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's it, it goes on the lines of I, I think popular culture and social media mm-hmm. has actually hurt uh, the value of like the silver and bronze medalists. Yeah, because like I, I think that's a that's a this generation thing, because be. I think everybody back in the day, I don't know, but <laughs> I, I know I'm sounding like a boomer right now, <laughs> but I know back in the day, like. It was a big deal if you meddled it up. It's a big deal if you get to the Olympics yes. at all. You're the best of the the best right. if you're an Olympic athlete. And but there's there's a meme, I'm sure that you've seen it before, of like this Olympic athlete like celebrating over his medal. And he's like at the bottom of the podium. <laughs> he's like <laughs> yeah, over celebrating, yeah. like being absolutely ridiculous. Yep. And he's not even third place, he's like tenth place, something <laughs> yeah. like that. But Just they gave, living it up. <laughs> Maybe that's all that meme is also a bit of a diss at like, you know, just give everybody a medal or sure, everybody a trophy, sure. which is also wrong. Yeah. But like if you get podium or in, in Formula One, right. like podium, like obviously you want to be first place. Sure. First is the one that gets to spray the big bottle of champagne. <laughs> but first through third are the ones that get to stand up. That's true. On the podium, spraying the champagne and getting sprayed by the champagne and spraying the audience with the champagne. Yep. Um, and they're also the ones in the post-race interview. Yep. And then it's not just them. There is sort of a participation trophy <laughs> for first through 10. Yeah. First through 10 positions in Formula One are points awarding yep. positions. So they actually get points for 
and then after 10, and I think there's 40 cars on yeah. like something like 40 cars. On, they don't get anything. <laughs> so you got to be in the top 10. Right. I think, you know, that goes back to uh, qualifying. Correct. Uh, too. It's like you got to you got to qualify good to be yeah. at least on a good uh, starting position, a good pole. Yep. Um, uh, but, uh, Bef- you know, bef- if you don't qualify very well, I mean, you're not gonna, probably not going to get points either. Bef- before you move on, I would even sure. uh, talk about this earlier. But there's two uh, the happiest moments that I, I remember from watching the Olympics. I just want to share that before we move on real quick. Sure, no problem. Just to wrap up quickly. Yeah. Yes, I do care about medals. <laughs> the, there was a, the men's high jump. Uh, There's two guys competing and they both um, uh, tied towards the end of their runs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the uh, Olympic officials said they could either do, um, they keep running until one of them fail or keep, uh, you know, high jumping until one of them fail. Yeah. Or they could share the medal. And the guys just looked at us and said, can we just share the medal? And that's awesome. They just shared the gold medal. They did that? (laughs) Oh, man. That was really cool. I wish that hit the news. That's a big deal. I'll I'll include the the link to the video in our our show notes. It was was really impressive. And the other one was, um, I think it was the Irish female boxer. Uh, I don't remember what class it was. Um, She won gold. But uh, when they're doing the, you know, final celebration on the podium, she just had all the other uh, podium finishers come up with her on the, on the, on the number one place on the podium and she celebrated all their uh, medals together. And I thought the way that she um, kind of conveyed that emotion with the other athletes, I thought that was really sportsmanship, really cool. a lot of sportsmanship or sports personship. <laughs> what's the, what's the PC term for sportsmanship? I don't know what the gender neutral term for that is sports sports. Uh, but you did bring up an interesting uh, comment. You know, our favorite thing to watch was uh, Olympic skeet shooting, skeet shooting. The American way to compete in the Olympics is yes. shoot stuff. <laughs> yes, and I saw that that uh, another comment on social media is I think I saw a meme on Instagram. It was like, you know, it's it's a really bad look on America if uh, if they don't just dominate in uh, the shooting sports. <laughs> <laughs> and that was like a dig, but also like that's fair. They're kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Olympic skeet shooting. That was fun. That was fun um, to watch. You brought up an interesting point. So we've been, I've been keeping an eye on like men's versus women's uh, yes. competition. I was watching a lot of indoor pistol and they had uh, two teams competing with each other, two people on each team. And there was a male and female on each team. And I thought there was, it feels like this is a, a new concept to me where not new to me in general, but new to the Olympic teams where they're looking at, you know, combining the genders into uh, more combined events. And you brought up the idea of even solo events, they could still be gender neutral. Like, Skeet is one of those, yes, right? Absolutely. And, you know, in the past, it was the, the idea was put forth that it was to help women. Yeah. That like, oh, you need to separate genders in these events or else like the women wouldn't be competitive. Right. When it comes to Olympic skeet and and I I watch international like skeet competition, like even before it gets to the Olympics mm-hmm. um, pretty regularly. And I can tell you, I, I feel that the, the, the separation of genders in something, in a shooting sport like skeet shooting Mm -hmm. is actually helping the men (laughs) because I mean, it's, let's go to the Olympics. I mean, you know, think about our, our past, like, uh, Olympic American hero, Kim Rode, who was taking home, uh, suitcases full of Olympic gold medals before Mike Phelps, Michael Phelps <laughs> even made it to uh, the Olympics. Right. And she continued taking golds home even after his reign yep. at the Olympics. So 
I, I genuinely think that uh, it's it's helping the men <laughs> because there are guys out there, there are Olympic shooters um, that don't want the floor wiped with them. <laughs> and it's, it's a shame because I would love to see uh, uh, women go up against uh, men shooters. Yeah, just open competition. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. Oh, no, you didn't medal? Too bad. <laughs> you made it to the Olympics. It's a big deal, though. <laughs> All right, man. We got some uh, really interesting articles today. Do you want to kick it off with the first one? Yes. I saw a article this morning while I was lying in bed um, that was posted on LinkedIn by our friend Doug Brannies. Yep. And um, he, uh, he's, he posted on LinkedIn, of course, a article by Industry Week. And the title is Much is at Stake for American Manufacturing in 2021. Right. And the uh, the cover photo was a a words stamped in a piece of metal that said made in the USA Mm -hmm. or made in USA. And thinking about that title, you know, much is at stake for American manufacturing in 2021. Um, I agree with much is at stake for American manufacturing, but I disagree in that a lot has been at stake in American manufacturing forever for a long time, maybe not forever. Right. But like, it's I don't think this is new to 2021. <laughs> the technology is new in 2021. Right. But I mean, it's been new every year. Um, but what what do you think about that? What do you think of American manufacturing? Yeah, I feel like it's always under pressure. I feel like there's always um, so the competition is uh, being sourced elsewhere. Right. It's right. being sourced from, you know, low cost countries or other uh, advanced countries that have different uh, spin on how they manufacture stuff. And since I've been involved in manufacturing, there's always the question of. You know, do we source it locally? Do we source it abroad? Do we make it internally? And a lot of those questions come to, you know, cost uh, questions. But, you know, recently we've had a lot of conversations with people in supply chain that, you know, cost is probably not your main driver now, right? And there's lead time questions. There's quality questions. There's what supplier that you're willing to work with to improve your um, delivery into your manufacturing space. Um, And I feel like that pressure is always on in American manufacturing. The constant review of how do we make this cheaper or how do we get this to the lowest dollar is always on American manufacturing. Yeah. The, I, I don't, I agree with that. I don't, I don't think it's a new concept. I feel like it's constantly, it's built a callus on, I feel like yeah. it's on American manufacturing. Yeah. The, callus is actually a great word I think for it because I see those dumb bumper stickers all the time, at least in the automotive industry. I, I, I see these bumper stickers that say, uh, be American, buy American. <laughs> it's got like a bald eagle, like with that scowl on right. his face and the flag and waving in the background. But I, I think as much as I respect that and, right. and I, I want to support American manufacturing and I do support American manufacturing. Sure. Also, I wouldn't be working here, <laughs> but um, um, I, I can't stand the, the lack of information right. behind that bumper. Cause you yeah. see it on like a, a Chevy or Ford truck. <laughs> And it's like you realize that more that there are with exception to like the Ford F-150. Right. There are more uh, uh, American made Japanese cars right. on the road in the U.S. than there are American made American cars. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the the branding is it's it's those bumper stickers built uh, be American by American. That's not patriotism. That's brand favoritism. Right. And right. I think the American auto manufacturers know that. Yeah. 
because Subaru, I think most Subarus, also Subarus sold in the U.S. are made in South Carolina. Right. Same with like BMW SUVs. Correct. The BMW sedans, I, I think, are imported or Correct. made in Mexico. Actually, I don't think BMW does that. That's the Volkswagen yep. group that makes in Mexico. But, uh, and you do. but BMW SUV, BMWs are like made in Bavaria right. with exception to the SUVs, which are made in South Carolina. Which is, with our members robotics, <laughs> by the way. Which is, uh, you know. Which is awesome. Which you know, that's why, I mean, they make it in the U.S. because that's all we buy. <laughs> so we, yeah, we buy right. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, it, you know, you do bring up a bigger issue, right? So you look at just manufacturing, but if you look at the life cycle of a product, right, you go upstream, where was it designed? Well, and then you go further upstream, right? Like, where's the yeah. parent company that's harvesting this money? And then I guess in the end, you know, where does that tax money go that, you know, it's corporate taxes, right? They know how right. to get around it. But there's different phases. So, uh, my buddy and I were, were um, thinking about going on a, oh, he went on a trip and, we're experimenting on uh, travel tripods to take pictures for, t- for photography. And there was a company called Peak Design. They designed a really lightweight, really compact um, uh, tripod made out of carbon fiber legs and the component is very light. It was a very interesting yeah. design. But, you know, it was designed in the U.S., but it was manufactured overseas. Oh. I was like, you know, it's fairly complex in a startup. You're looking, how do I get this product to market? You know, the idea is if you're designing in the U.S., it, you could manufacture in the U.S. That's always the idea. Right. But you know, if there's already an ecosystem that you're but connected to. But you also want to, people but, to buy it and people yeah, like things that are cheap. The decision process to get to where you manufacture is fairly complex. Yeah. And as a consumer, just point your finger, make, make this in the U.S. Like, yeah, but what about all the other things that happen in the U.S. Yeah, that we're losing Consumers say that, but they know that their wallet speaks first. <laughs> you know, it's easy to run that yeah. lip service, but the person that's doing the real talking is their wallet. When you filter on Amazon for made in the U.S., then you're keeping it real. <laughs> oh wow yeah i bet that's cool that's cool but like i just just my closing point and coming back to cars i'm sorry but like um you know the like the most probable i think like the best-selling american vehicle um is the ford f-150 pickup right. uh i was getting my car inspected uh two months late uh, last weekend <laughs> and actually last week and uh while I was at the shop, I was looking around. I saw this this nice looking motor mm-hmm. uh, just sitting on a pile of tires. It was out of engine okay. or out of car, of course. And uh, it was definitely a truck engine. I knew it came from a Ford F-150. It was their EcoBoost V6. Cool. And I could tell it was the EcoBoost. It didn't have the turbos on it. Okay. Um, but I could tell it was the EcoBoost because it had god awful cast iron uh, <laughs> headers. Sure. Like really short tube, yep. like yep. strictly dis- made made that way for packaging right. sake. And it doesn't matter. Isometric isometric header tuning doesn't matter when you're just feeding a turbo. <laughs> Correct. Um, and, and, but it was a nice 60 degree crank angle V6 dual overhead cam. I was like, yes, I'm so glad <laughs> that this is made in America. Yeah. And I, I didn't, I couldn't tell that it was a Ford. I, I knew it was a twin turbo V6. Couldn't tell it was a Ford EcoBoost from an F-150 until I looked closer. So I like, I looked for the uh, the serial number on the block. Okay. And when I found it, I, I when I f- determined that it was in fact a Ford, it said FOMOCO on it, <laughs> Ford Motor Company. Yeah. I was so depressed when I looked at the bottom of that like that that emblem, not emblem, but it was like it was like a metal plaque on the engine sure. to say yeah. with with the serial number and everything. It said made in Honduras. <laughs> That's interesting. I was I like, Honduras is up. To and I bet you this motor came from a dumb truck that yeah. said, be American, buy American on it. Like you That's should funny. be ashamed of your, like, at least try to put some research into throwing that <laughs> before you throw down money and run your lips. 
products we buy, man, they're complex. They're going to come from everywhere. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Uh, what I want to hit on is, you know, back to pressure in manufacturing is uh, manufactured under attack. Cybersecurity, okay. man. It's big problems. Oh, yeah. Uh, been the, a problem since I've been here. <laughs> and I think recently the visibility and the severity has become more apparent, right? We're seeing uh, significant attacks on, I'll just call it the industrial sector in general. It's not, you know, you know, I'd say 10 years ago, you see a lot of news on uh, bots taking over your machine or spam uh, malware on personal computers. That That's still a problem. And, you know, your refrigerator, your smart refrigerator is going to be taken over at some point by some uh, emailing bot. So, you know, the personal in ecosystem for security is a problem, but that has progressed into the industrial sector where you see, um, I think the, the last one I saw was uh, a water processing plant, you know, get attacked and, Oof. Or, or no, the gasoline, uh, yeah, the, the gasoline, pipeline, right? the man. pipeline. Yeah. So not only were they asking for money, but because they were shut down, we didn't get uh, gas delivered on the Middle Eastern seaboard for a couple of, probably almost like a week, right? We almost had a, a gas run out there. And did we well people claimed i was fine too i was working from home so i didn't go anywhere the the good news is we we live in an area where uh the most worn button at the pump is uh the premium the 93 (laughs) octane it it did create a run because people were storing it yeah that was all if they continue their they were storing that like 87 (laughs) junk who wants that man my car can't run that yeah (laughs) You expect uh, me to take a five-horsepower deficit? <laughs> I have barely any to begin with. Uh, the, but the article that was uh, written here was, uh, it talks about the broader issues of the concept of IT and information technology and operational technology within uh, a manufacturing facility. So, you know, the influence of um, information technology or um, how we handle technology on the operation on the shop floor comes from a lot of IT practices. Where yes. You know, you're monitoring printers, you're monitoring servers, you're monitoring laptops. It's a diff- they are different environments. And that's where uh, one of the key elements in the article talks about is the practices that have migrated into the operational floor. While they needed a starting point, there really needs to be a significant shift in, in how we handle that uh, going forward. And it, it gets into two layers. One is, you know, we've talked about keeping uh, hardware up to date. And, the, you know, we we're kind of griping about that earlier in our planning uh uh, talk earlier about I just upgraded my phone because the old one was getting out of date. It, it refused to op- update the OS because I was several versions behind, which mm-hmm. annoyed me a lot. But you know the um, the age of equipment is very interesting. Where you know the on the IT side, you know it's um, you know a couple of years old, say five years old, and you're up- upgrading switches, you're upgrading laptops. You know, so keeping something up to date on the IT side, it's 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 a best practice. Yes, but if I've got a piece of uh, quarter million dollar machine, I could keep that 20, 30 years, right? So that piece of information technology that's on this piece of equipment that's on the shop floor, that's significantly different lifespan that you got to maintain. I can't just replace that thing. It's, it's a piece expensive yeah. piece of equipment. So, uh, I mean, you could replace it. There are companies that do have a, a different uh, depreciation plan for their equipment, but the idea of keeping things up to date and the mind shift from IT into OT is significantly different. And that, that, that was a very interesting look at the article and uh, kind of what has to change in the future. Right, right. I, um, I, I think the investment of an IT department in a manufacturing facility is incredibly important. Right. Um, and that's like the first step to, to, to a small facility or small job shop yep. growing into a medium size and, and then becoming a full one is having 
an IT department uh, to keep everything up to date and secure. Yep. And more importantly, and and, and I don't think this is stressed enough. What what first the IT department in general? I don't think in a manufacturing facility is stressed enough. But but I think that's not stressed enough because they're trying to stress the need for a solid relationship between, as you said, IT and OT. Right. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we we've mentioned a handful of times here in our podcast, our uh, AMT's uh, outside the or outside uh, AMT's uh, hero for cybersecurity, uh, <laughs> Yenda Nice. Yeah, um, but like, you know, he'll he'll tell us that like he he's got to have his like wingman. Like it's it's not it's not like Batman and Robin. Right. It is Starsky and Hutch. Like <laughs> it's Yanda Nice and Mike Muckin. Yeah, like yeah. you need IT and OT. You need a good relationship between right. the two. And you need to know the strengths and weaknesses of each other. And then you can effectively keep everything up to date and yep, safe. Absolutely. You can update your drivers and not screw anything up. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, the big takeaway for me is that as threats become more aggressive, external threats, you know, you got nation states trying to attack these little, yeah. these industrial sectors where, you know, as a small company, you're probably not going to be able to stop that. But the ability to recover from that is also important. But if too. you're a small company, the good news for you is you're also not the biggest target. True, true. But if you're and if you're also a small company, the bad news is you probably don't want to be a small company for long. <laughs> you're you probably to grow. want some growth. <laughs> if, right. and, and and growth, you certainly want growth. We're yeah. all in this to make money. Yeah. And so you at least want to grow your bank account. That's right. And sometimes you can't grow your bank account unless you grow your facilities. <laughs> and as soon as, as soon as you get larger, then you become more of a target. And, and then you need. And I hate to break it to you. It's not all, uh, you know, you know, cutting and, and growing in manufacturing. Yep. They're all computers. <laughs> They're all computers. And they exactly. all need to be updated and kept <laughs> up to date. And I think that's the key. There's, there's a lot more work that uh, needs to happen on how we handle uh security on the OT side. So yeah. Awesome. Steve, uh, what's our next article? Okay. The next one I got so switching gears a little bit, being a little bit more playful again. Um, <laughs> NASA is seeking volunteers to live a year in, uh, I can't say that still, uh, a 3d printed Mars habitat. <laughs> That's awesome. Would you do this? Would I do that? Like right now with my family? I mean, I'd like to get away from my family. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe, um, so if this comes down to like, you know, your, your, your public school, public education, <laughs> right. like when a teacher would be like, I, I want to say, okay, what am I getting out of this though? Right. What are they paying? And then the public, you know, like I, I can hear high school teachers now saying it's not volunteering <laughs> if you're getting something out of it, Stephen. <laughs> it's okay. But yeah, but they, they've got to be giving you something. But, yeah. You know, you're going to write a book if you go through that. Yeah, it's at least a book deal. <laughs> yeah. Potentially a a sci-fi movie. Somebody's gonna want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know for how long, but somebody's gonna want to talk to you about it. I don't it. think they're isolated though, right? They're not cut off from the world. Well, they've, they've, got, they've the got physically other people. cut off. Yeah, yeah, they're physically cut off. But I mean, you could still watch. In, you have internet access, sure. right? It's not sure in this biodome environment where you're cut off completely from the world. Yeah, I, don't know, I wouldn't do that. I, I couldn't last. How many people? Does it say how many people are in there? Okay. I, I'll tell you the exact scenario in okay. which I would do it. And I think this is pretty common. At least I, I feel like it is. Graduated college. Yeah. Still working retail. Right. Haven't found a real job yet. That's a good scenario to be this in. This comes up. Yeah. And I actually get accepted. I'm doing it. Yeah. So it's fair. just a year. Right. 
while you still have if you like you said if you still have internet access <laughs> i can job hunt while i'm there do some do some e interviews and that that covid brought us you know we can do zoom interviews and uh if you get an offer you just be like yeah can i start in a year i'm kind of doing this thing for nasa right now i wonder if i see that on a resume i don't know how as a manager what i would do with that i'd be like this is really cool this person takes great opportunities sure. um they've probably learned a lot out of this Probably doesn't have the best people and communication <laughs> skills since they've been isolated. That's fascinating that they 3D printed it. And that, it is 3D right. printed. Yeah, we're missing the point. Yeah. Here. <laughs> I think construction has harvested a lot from, you know, the ability to 3D print. It's not quite additive, right? They're not doing any yeah. subsequent processing for it. It's purely 3D printed houses. And I see a lot of articles on 3D printed houses for sale now. That So I find that very fascinating in the U.S. I, I really hope, and I don't mean to be uh, uh, a downer. <laughs> This is really an upper for me sure. and, and and people like me and my generation. But uh, I hope additive housing, 3D printed housing yeah. causes the next uh, real estate uh, collapse. <laughs> and so I'll finally be able to buy a house. <laughs> finally be able to buy a house. Finally be able the, to buy something. Struggle's real, man. The, finance, the housing market's out of control. Yeah. I've been patiently waiting for like the past eight years now. <laughs> For a collapse that uh, somebody once told me, oh, it's going to happen in two years. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm still waiting. The next article I've got is uh, actually a white paper from uh, New York Assessments. We've been working them to kind of talk about a new way of thinking in the additive uh, journey. And, you know, I, we just talked about um, a fairly... I wouldn't say mature process, but they're they're building a habitat that's 3D printed, right? So the ability additive is absolutely a mature process. Right. Additive housing, not a mature concept, right? And the the main takeaway from the the white paper and all the articles we've been working with them on is the mindset mindset of additive and the impact of business, right? And there's mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of different topics that they talk about here. It's kind of the business culture and product application, and looking at those three areas and how does additive fit and when and within those and you know they hit on a couple of key myths within the industry about additive one additive is not going to fix everything that's that's definitely Correct. true right that's just my personal take right? yeah. it, it's it's a it's a mature technology it's it has its applications it's connecting those applications and what's the return to business that's driving it and they hit on uh, a couple of key myths that I, I just want to talk about one is additive is not for every company and not for every product right taking something that's attractively made and then just converting the additive process. That's a terrible idea. You shouldn't do that. I mean, yeah, if your goal is to reduce lead time potentially, if your goal is I can't make this part in time and I could switch it over, but there's significant financial impacts and cost difference between the two and understanding that as opposed to let's just swap the two and it'll magic will happen. That's not always the case. Um, the other one is uh, material costs is how you control your expenses for additive. I find that very fascinating that, you know, it uses such low material when you're growing apart. It's like 5% of the total cost. The other cost comes from, you know, uh, the time on machine and then subsequent processing for those uh, in an additive uh, uh, yeah. process. Um, and then the last one they talk about is if you buy it, they'll come. If I buy a 3D printer, metallic or plastic, I'll suddenly get business. Nobody knows that. Nobody knows you have a 3D printer or capability. Right. It's, it's very interesting that uh, buying machine is not the same as buying or a growing capability. It's uh, there's a lot of uh, intelligence and knowledge that's required to support that and the designs, right? Just because you have a, a machine doesn't mean you'll always have that capability. So I found that, you know, th- those are some of the significant takeaways. Then also get into 
design, planning, part building, uh, part processing, and you know trends for the future. So it's a very good uh, white paper, and it's a it's a good read. I highly recommend. It sounds like an actually a good read for a white paper. Yeah, yeah. definitely. I highly <laughs> recommend cool. it. Uh, Steve, I think we got uh, we got two minutes left. Let two me, minutes. Let's, let's just I'll, I'll I'll bring it up. All right. Um, I got a final article from 3D Printing Industry: Micro Additive Manufacturing. Disrupting the production of precision plastic parts. Precision plastic. I like precision that. Precision plastic parts. Yeah. Additive is apparently disrupting. We haven't, I feel like we haven't seen a good disruptive technology in a while. We've seen some transformational technologies. Sure. sure. And you certainly, we see a transformational technology or at least update our list of transformational technologies every year. Right. But I feel like it's been a hot minute since we've seen something disrupt something else micro additive uh, that's a growing trend yes that's, that's definitely a hot idea and topic I any mean, I, th- I think a lot of the applications i've seen are more medical or mm-hmm. opto electronics yeah um but microplastic that's fascinating to me be able to you know grow this very very small part um, right because because it used to think that like when additive was still a disruptive technology mm-hmm. and it arguably still is one of its faults uh, among other things, one of its faults was that you couldn't get and still, frankly, you still can't get the surface finish right. that you can with other means yeah. of manufacturing. And now all of a sudden additives <laughs> come out of the gate with like, we can do micro stuff now. <laughs> yeah. And it's like to make to be micro, you've got to have really good surface finish right. qualities. So I think this is a big deal. I and it's so. worth me actually looking into this article for more information. I definitely want to look at what what use cases they see. If it's, I still see the debate of, you know, either prototype and tooling, which it works great. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great uh, way to leverage additive in the beginning. But then once you get into like production or end use, then it's fairly interesting. I, I I'm trying to understand if, you know, there's still a need and drive to get uh, value from um, additive and end use. So I like aerospace can definitely harvest value on growing more efficient components sure. for airplane engines. But I'm just regular Joe Schmo. You grew some parts from my phone. Am I going to notice those valleys? I'm thinking for on the lines of repairs. Yeah. Okay. Um, like even back to the white paper you just spoke on, I was thinking about what if, how cool would it be if like, you know, you go to a, uh, you know, the, the, the concept of just in time manufacturing or just in time right. assembly in general, um fascinates me sure um because i think a lot of people think that when a company is putting together x product before they package it and ship it to a retailer and a consumer buys it they think that as it's going down the assembly line somebody is just pulling parts out of a massive bin of that (laughs) same part and putting it on the product and it goes down to the next person who yeah. does the same thing. And the, the concept of just-in-time manufacturing uh, fascinates me because yeah. I see that it's basically telling me that you have that same assembly line. But as the product comes towards the, the assembly line uh-huh. worker, instead of them reaching towards a or reaching for a, a part from a massive bin of the same parts, uh-huh. there's another conveyor belt bringing <laughs> them the new part. Yeah. The one yeah. part that they need. Right. And um, like cars are manufactured like that, for example. Mm -hmm. And I mean, cars are manufactured and assembled in a hugely efficient and and beautiful manner. Sure. Um, But 
car repairs, not so much. <laughs> like if you need a new wheel bearing right. for your car, you go to your local dealership and you ask for, I, I need this wheel bearing, you know, for whichever one it is, if they're individualized. Right. Um, and you hope that they have one in stock. Right. You hope that they have one in a bin of parts yep. of the same parts. And if they don't, then you have to order it. And yep. that's not just in time. <laughs> if they had a big box of them, that's sure. not just in time. And if they're out of stock and they need to order it, that's not just in time either. But I think this concept of additive is cool, at least for small parts. Sure. because That's what we're talking about is really cool because I'm thinking – you know, how cool would it be to go to like a service center sure. and they'll be like, here's this. We're, we're printing this plastic <laughs> part for you now sure. while we wait for the metal part, the metal part to arrive. Sure. So yeah. it's like a donut. Right. Like, like, like you know, you have a spare tire. It mm-hmm. says don't don't drive over 50 and don't drive. Don't drive over 50 miles an hour. Don't drive for more than 50 <laughs> miles. You know, if there was that. Sure. Like, OK, here's this plastic part. That'd be fascinating. And ride this until it comes in don't don't exceed these limits right yeah that would be really cool it's not probably not that realistic but i mean it's it's you know i i'm sorry i still have an imagination (laughs) see where can they see more about your imagination (laughs) you can find more of what we have to talk about at amtonline.org slash resources there you can find our recent white paper series that we've just We've just closed that off, haven't we? Yeah, we finished up a supply chain series. Finished up the supply chain series of white papers. That was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, you can find, you can subscribe there to my weekly tech report and uh, find more episodes of the Tech Trends podcast. Awesome, Steve. That was a great episode. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye.